And if you would, go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. And as you're turning, I want to tell you a little story. Just before World War II, in the town of New London, Texas, a gas explosion and fire in an elementary school killed almost 300 students. Have you ever heard this story? Any of you familiar with it? This is a true story. You can uh, Google it. Uh, fire that killed children uh, in Texas or something like that. It was a small town, and as you can imagine, most of the families in that town were deeply affected by that tragedy. From what I have read, it's the worst school disaster in the history of this country. Now, a story is told. I can't verify this. I have seen it, I think, in a Christian magazine and in other places uh, of a Christian nature, but not just like the fire uh, episode, uh, like it was reported uh, in the secular press. But a story is told that when the school was rebuilt several years later, it featured what was called the finest sprinkler system in the world. And you can imagine why. The people of that town, you know, you don't want to pay any more school taxes than you have to. But the people of that town, they, they did not want to spare any expense to do whatever it took to ensure that a similar tragedy would never occur again. Now, according to this story, when this new school was enlarged several years later, workers found something that when they reported it, it sent shockwaves throughout that community. That world-class sprinkler system had never been connected to the water line. Now think about that. That is a parable of what happens in many Christians' lives. Here's what I'm talking about. Many Christians, maybe some of us in here, we go through life and we feel like there's some things we can never get over. There's some things, some habits, some sinful patterns we just can't break. There's some things we can't deal with. There's some changes we can't make, we think. Some Christians go through life like this without ever being aware of or utilizing the power of God that he makes available to us if we're Christians every day of our lives. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul describes the resurrection as a demonstration of, I'm using the English Standard Version, the immeasurable greatness of God's power. He's going to describe what God did in bringing Jesus back from the grave as a demonstration of God's immeasurably un, uh, unbelievable power. Now, we don't have any problem believing that, do we? We're Christians. We believe that Jesus arose from the grave God brought him back from the dead. But how many of us 
truly believe that that same immeasurable power of God is available to us every single day that we live. My goal for this study tonight is for us to see that we can live, you and me, we can live a faithful Christian life. In fact, every Christian can live a faithful Christian life if we want to. Because the power of God is available to us, for us. Let's read Ephesians 1. I want us to read now. It's there on your outline, verses 16 through 23. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's telling them about how he's praying for them. Verse 16, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I want to pause there. Paul didn't pray for their gallbladder and things of that nature. He didn't pray, pray little general prayers that God had blessed them. He didn't pray that life would be easy for them. This is an example of the way Paul prayed for the churches that he knew of or had planted over and over again. This is the kind of prayer Paul prays. They may know God better, deeper, fuller. And look at verse 19. And he's praying that they would know. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now look at that if you would. Can you point to evidence of the immeasurable greatness of God's power in that passage? There's two things that stand out, very, very obvious, that give evidence, demonstrate the greatness of God's power. What are they? Number one, God raised Jesus from the dead. Verses 19 and 20, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I want you to think, when Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, when all was done, he cried out, it is finished. The penalty for our sins has been paid. Everything necessary for us to be right with God has been done in terms of 
paying the penalty for our sins. He was buried. And then God brought him back. God raised Jesus in his resurrected body, never to die again. And you know, you who would come out on Sunday night when the master's is going on, your pastor's gone, you know that Jesus appeared, the scripture tells us, in that resurrected body. If you read everything that's said about Jesus between his resurrection and his ascension, he appeared to over 500 people in different locations over a period of 40 days. Jesus really arose bodily. He was visible. They ate with him. They touched him. They listened to him. They talked with him. And we can take comfort tonight in knowing that God's immeasurably great power will raise us from the dead one day. You don't have to just look in the mirror. You can feel aches and pains. We in this room, our bodies are wearing out. Some worse than others. We're going to die, every single one of us, and we may as well accept that. We're going to die. And if we are truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, death should not fear us. We should not fear death. Death should not scare us. But when we die, one day, the Lord is going to come back to this earth And we're going to receive resurrected bodies. And we're going to live forever with him. We'll never die again. He is, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 29, the first fruits. He arose, we're going to rise again one day. That's something we can take comfort in. God's power this way. But also, the second way God demonstrated his measurably great power in this passage is God exalted Jesus to his right hand. A position of great power and authority. Look again. It's there on your outline. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he, and I'm skipping, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. The exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God is another demonstration of God's immeasurably great power. And it also demonstrates the power and the authority that our Lord Jesus Christ enjoys and exercises right now. Jesus is the living Lord King of kings and Lord of lords, now. We who are believers, we have already, figuratively or literally, bowed our knee before him. We we call him our Lord. One day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I want us to think, at this very moment, while the Masters is going on, Jesus Christ is at the Father's right hand. Now, let's do a little quiz. This is not on the outline. According to what the Bible says, what is Jesus doing right now at the Father's right hand? 
what I I can't hear it ever, but I, I can't hear especially this. This what, what was the, what was the answers? Making intercession for us. He's praying for us. What else is he doing right now? That he describes in John fourteen. Huh? Preparing a place for us. He's preparing us a home in heaven. And I don't know what all that means. Exactly how it happens. But the scripture tells it in such a way that we need to think right now. We're safe and secure as people who trust in Jesus. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's talking to the Father about us, for us. And one of the many reasons why we should not fear death is Jesus is preparing a place for us. So it'll be a good place. It'll be the greatest place we'll, we, we, we will ever experience. Now, we need to understand the greatness of God's power, period. We need to understand that God is truly creator, sustainer of all things. We need to understand that God is sovereign. He's in control. He is all-powerful. It's important for us to understand that. It helps us to live life in this world and not think everything's just totally gone crazy and out of control. God is sovereign. But knowledge of God's power is not enough. It's not enough for you to believe every word that the Bible says about God's power and just take it as information. We must also experience it because God intends for us to. And I want us to look at three places. You see the second number two in the outline. Can you point to evidence of the immeasurable greatness of God's power at work in your life? I can ask the question, which is the first Roman numeral. Get, show me evidence of God's great power at work. Well, he brought Jesus back from the grave. He exalted Jesus to his right hand. Among other things, he created the world. But let's make it more personal. Did you right now, on the back, back of this page, write out, here's how I have seen, experienced God's power at work in my life. In the past, in the present. Paul describes God's great power at work in the lives of believers in three places in Ephesians. There's other places in the New Testament, but look here, we're in Ephesians. Verse 19 again. The immeasurable greatness of his power, his power toward us who believe. See, Paul is really not writing just about God's power in raising Jesus from the dead. He's talking about that power is toward, in, available to us. Look at verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, there before you. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. God, when he saves us, he puts his Holy Spirit within us. He is the power source of God, and he dwells in us as Christians. Now look at the next one, verse 20 of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. God is able to do far more abundantly anything that we could ask for in prayer. Anything that we even think, imagine, think would be too crazy, too wild to ask for in prayer. God is able to do immeasurably more abundantly than all we ask or think. Look at this. According to the power at work within us. As we're talking about Christians, us. Now Paul explains, I want you to think here, that's what he's talking about. Chapter 1 and then those three verses in chapter 3. Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 a lot of people would consider that, that's doctrinal teaching. There's some very deep teaching from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 about who God is, how he works in our lives, how he's worked in the church, and all these kind of things. Well, beginning in chapter 4, Paul starts applying it. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 is more of personal application, applying what he's been teaching. So what I want us to do is think, Paul explains how God intends to use his great power to change us, make us more like Jesus in Ephesians 4 through 6. Now what you have on the outline here are some of the specific ways God powerfully works in our lives as Paul explains in these chapters. Now look on your outline. We're going to summarize what Paul is saying in chapters 4, 5, and 6 with the idea that what Paul is describing here is how God works so powerfully in us to change us, to equip us, mature us, to enable us to live faithful Christian lives, to be a strong church. Let's look at some of this. Number one. God empowers us to develop humility, gentleness, and patience so that we can live and work together in unity as a church family. Now, I'm just summarizing chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. There's more there. But God, God empowers us as Christians living together in community as a church family. To not look down our nose at one another. To not think we're better than anyone. To not be impatient with one another. God enables us, and I'm using words from that passage, that, those verses, to develop humility, gentleness, and patience. And he's really talking here about in the church family. So that we can live together as a family. Work together in unity. I don't know anything about this church. I really don't know any of the internal things that's going on. For good or bad or anything. But I do know this. If there are any issues related to this. It ain't God's fault. It's disobedient Christians or unbelievers who are the problems. Because if we will seek to be sensitive to the Spirit of God within us as a Christian, 
and be obedient, we can become humble and gentle and patient and work together and bear, put up with one another, forgive one another, all these kind of things. It's not going to happen just like that. It's a process, but it should be an ongoing process. We should be growing in this. Number two, God empowers gifted leaders to equip believers to serve in ministry, to be doctrinally sound, to stay united, to love one another, and to grow a healthy church. That's chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. I want you to look at verse 11. This is one that's probably familiar with you. Y'all's probably done studies at some days uh, at various times on, on spiritual gifts. A lot of people have an interest in that. I do too. Well, in verse 11 it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Some translations say pastor teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ, and so forth. Um, so that we may no longer, in verse 14, no longer be children, that's like being immature, tossed to and fro by the, way, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We should be doctrinally sound, and that's what teachers in the church are designed to do. What I want us to see here, God empowers your pastor. Brad, other leaders in this church with the spiritual gifts needed to equip you to do the ministry of the church. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way. God does not empower Keith and Brad and other pastors on staff here to do all the ministry of the church. You may not know this about Brad. He can't do everything. He ain't supposed to. Neither can Keith. Neither can any deacon or any other leader in the church. If you have such expectations, you have unrealistic expectations, but worse, you have non-biblically sound expectations for such people. God has empowered them to equip you. And God also gives every church member spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities that he intends to be put to work, use in the life of this church to make this church stronger. I want to give you an example of how some of this works. Years ago when I was pastor at Utica Baptist Church, there was a lady in the church. She was about my age, a little bit older. I was a young fellow back then. I had black and thicker hair and a thinner gut. She called me one day. She said, Fred, she said, I believe the Lord's laid it on my heart for you to go and talk to so-and-so. Well, you may not know me this well, but I didn't hesitate. I called her by name. I'll call her late. My wife is Lisa. You might buy kin to her, so I won't call her name. But I don't really care because she, she'd laugh if she was sitting here. But I said, Lisa, if the Lord's put this person on your heart, that's a good sign to me. You ought to be the one to go and talk to her. And I said this. I said, I'm not. I hadn't even thought about her. 
And you know what she said? I never thought about that. And you know what she did? She contacted this lady, and this lady and her husband responded very well. They'd sort of dropped out for a while. They came back, and they got truly involved in the life of the church. And from a human perspective, that happened because this woman went and made the contact, expressed the love and concern, and they responded to her doing that. That's how it's supposed to work. And if I was your pastor, if, if, I said things like this to Pickens First Baptist. Lisa can verify. If you know anybody that goes there, you know, you ask them. I, I would say, don't ever ask me to do stuff like that. Because if the Lord puts somebody on your mind and heart, it's not for you to be the one to come and tell me. It's for you to do that work, that ministry, that expression of your gift, talent, and ability. We have the power of God present in our lives and in our church. He empowers us to be humble, gentle, patient, work together in unity and one is like a family. He empowers gifted leaders to equip the church to serve in ministry, stay doctrinally sound, be united, love one another, and grow a healthy church. But look at number three. God empowers us to turn away from every kind of sinful practice. Now I want to give you in parentheses here some of the things that are mentioned in chapter 4, verse 17, through chapter 5, verse 21. Sexual immorality, greed, lying, anger, rage, stealing, alcohol abuse, etc. God empowers every Christian. The same immeasurably great power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in us. And whatever it is, every one of us in this room no matter how long we've been Christians, we are still sinful people and we have sinful struggles, habits, battles. Every one of us. You may think because it's been so long you've battled this that I can never, I can never overcome this. I can never be released. I can never uh, change. You may not be able to on your own, but by the power of God, the Holy His Spirit that lives within you, you can change. God will enable you. That's His will that you change. But look at it. Not only does God empower us to turn away from every kind of sinful practice, but He also enables us to develop Christ-like character. To put to death certain sins, as Paul will say to the Colossians in chapter 3, and put on other positive, godly qualities like moral purity, truth speaking, productive work, generous giving, thankfulness, loving relationships, spirit-filled living, and so forth. I want you to note some of the examples here. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Some people 
they're just sort of addicted to lying or to gossiping or to slandering, just doing sinful things with their tongue. Well, God can help a person to change if they want to. To put it real bluntly, God can help us to shut up if we will. And God can help us replace that here in verse 25. uh, Put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Speak positive things. Build people up, not tear them down. Uh, Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing some honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Put off the sinful behavior, put on the other. Uh, Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. God will help us to change. To overcome sinful habits and practices and to develop more Christ-like character if we'll cooperate with him. The power is available. That's one of the things that he does. Look at the next one. Therefore, God empowers us to faithfully fulfill our God-given roles at home and work, resulting in our enjoying loving and healthy relationships. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, through chapter 6, verse uh, verse 6, verse 9, talks about relationships in the home. When he talks about the uh, slave-master relationship, I think we can apply that, apply that today to work-employer-employee relationships. And so again, we're talking about how God's power work is available to us. God works through us, through his spirit. He empowers us. And in these verses, we're seeing how he empowers us. You can be a godly husband. A godly wife, father, mother. God will do that. He will help us, empower us to change if we'll cooperate with him. Number five, God empowers us to stand firm, resist temptation, and overcome the evil power and influence of the devil and all demonic spirits. Talking about spiritual warfare, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. God empowers us. The devil is certainly powerful he is not more powerful than God. Never think, R.C. Sproul, the theologian, used to talk about, never think that there's some kind of cosmic tug of war going on in this universe between God and the devil. God and the devil are not on equal footing. The devil is God's devil. God is sovereign. God's in control. He only allows the devil to do what he does. We don't understand all the reasons why, but one day the devil is eventually going to be destroyed, done away with. We have the power to resist temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is a common demand, and God is faithful. He will, I'm going to paraphrase this real quickly, he will always provide a way of escape. Never say, well, I just got weak. I just gave it. I I couldn't help it. The temptation was too great. Yes, you could. If you're a Christian, when you give in to temptation, when I give in to temptation, it's my fault. According to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, because God will never let us be tempted beyond our ability to endure it. 
And with every temptation, he always provides a way of escape. So we can. God's power enables us to do this. See, look on the outline. Everything God calls us to be and do, he empowers us to accomplish it. Verses six, uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's coming to the end. This is the way he's summarizing this. Two questions. Do you believe that? Well, if so, how have you responded? Let me ask you this. Have you doubted God's willingness to work powerfully in your life? I think sometimes we as Christians, we act more like a deist. You know, a deist believes that there is a God. He created everything, but then he just sort of turned it loose to let everything, you know, work out the way it will. I think some Christians believe that God has saved them, but they just don't really and truly believe or expect God to be actively involved in their daily life, like what we've been looking at here. Do you expect God to work his power in your life? Be there. Have you denied God's willingness to work powerfully in your life? You know, some, I hate a victim's mentality. The world's full of victims today. Nobody wants to take responsibility for themselves, who they are, how they are, what happens to them. Everybody wants to be a victim. It's because my mama or my daddy or the fact that I don't have a mama or daddy is why I'm this way. It's because somebody mistreated me. It's because of this and that. We live in a world full of victims. Christians should never be victims. That's a, a, a failing mentality. By the grace of God and the power of God, we can overcome anything. And if we have this victim mentality that we're trapped in an unhealthy or unsinful lifestyle, we can never change. That's denying God's power or God's willingness to work his power in, in our lives. See there, have you delighted in God's willingness to work powerfully in your life? And have you obeyed him? That's what we all need to be doing. Trusting that God has the power to change, to change us. And then obeying him, cooperating with him as he works in us to change us, to enable us to change. Number two here, God works his power in our lives primarily three ways. I'm saying primarily. Through his word, through his spirit, and often in answer to our prayers. This is a statement that I don't agree with. Some people will make it. And I know what they're talking about. Some people make the statement, God never does anything except in answer to someone's prayers. Well, I just don't believe that. God is sovereign, almighty God. He created this world before there was a human being to pray. God has done a lot of things to bless my life that I've never even thought about asking for. Or I thought about it and didn't. But God often works and answers people. Look at this quickly. God works through his word. I'm just giving you that verse of scripture there. You, if you're interested, you read it and you get home. But God provides us everything we need, we need in terms of what we should believe and how we should live. If God's going to work through his word to change us, we need to be reading the Bible regularly. And we need to be obeying it faithfully. 
Next, God works through his spirit. Philippians 2.13 talks about how God works in us, causing, giving us the desire and the ability to please him. That's, a, that's my paraphrase. God works in all of us, and he works through his spirit. That's who indwells us. And he gives us the desire and the ability to please him. We have the responsibility as Christians to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's presence and obedient to his leadership and act on those desires that he gives us and actually do with the power he will give us what he's called us to do, what he's leading us to do. We need to keep in mind the Holy Spirit will teach and guide us most clearly what he's already inspired in the written word of God. And the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do anything that's contrary to Scripture. Finally, God works through the prayers of his people. There's all kinds of things, passages you could read about that. And every one of us in this room as Christians, we're going to say, oh, yes, I know that. Do you really pray? Every Christian really doesn't pray a lot. And when you pray, how do you pray? Do you pray the way that Jesus taught us? Sometimes we call that the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes we call it the model prayer. Matthew 6. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we should focus our prayers on God. His greatness, His you know, being reverent, fearing Him, wanting His kingdom, His rule, His will to be done. And in the context of focusing on God and his way and will and just knowing him and loving him and serving him, then we ask for our daily bread and the things that we think we need. That's how we should pray as Jesus taught us. Final thought. Next Sunday, as the church is going to gather, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. As you think about Jesus rising from the dead, Remember that this same, as Paul calls it, immeasurably great power that God used to raise Jesus is available to you. If you want to overcome sin, if you want to become more like Jesus, if you want this church to be a true family of God, then trust God. Ask God to work his power in your life. And obey him as he works. As he gives you the right desires. Obey him. And he will, by his grace and by his power, enable us to grow and mature. And as time goes on, a lifelong process, he will enable us to be more and more like Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, help us not just believe in your power but help us dear God by being faithful to you talking to you listening to you obeying you trusting your word help us dear God to experience your power in our lives and in this room right now dear God all of us have our specific needs areas where we need 
your power to help us, to change us, to do something. Help us to pray about that right now. Help us to truly trust you and your immeasurably great power. Help us to ask you what we should do, shouldn't do. And help us, dear God, to cooperate with you. Help us to do it day by day, even hour by hour. Help us not to give up when it's not easy. Help us, dear God, to so trust and obey you that we do experience your great power at work on a regular basis in our lives and in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.